0: this is whitley streeper and this is dreamland you've reached the edge of the world today on dreamland i would like to welcome back a very popular guest paul sinclair is with us paul is has become over the years the master of a very weird corner of england and of course you would ask Well, what corner of England isn't very weird? (laughs) This one is very weird. It's weirder than the rest of the corners of England, isn't it, Paul? It really is, Whitley. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he's back with a new book in the Truth Proof series, Truth Proof 4, Beyond Reasonable Doubt. He also has his own video podcast now. And
1: can you tell us where to get to you on YouTube? I can, Whitley, and thank you very much for inviting me back on the show. Yes, the the YouTube is uh, called Truth Proof. We live stream every Thursday, uh, lots of different and interesting guests. Uh, and, yeah, you can you can find us there. It has a good interactive chat. We have anything between 100 and 200 people in the chat, all asking decent questions to the guest. So I think it's well worth anybody's uh, participation if you're interested in unexplained phenomena.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be on it myself, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, His website is truthproof.co.uk And let's start by asking a simple question. Uh, I promise I I will ask a few simple questions, but not many. In in any case, um, why tell us about exactly
1: where you are in England. Where is this area? I'm on the East Yorkshire coast of the United Kingdom. So we've got East and North Yorkshire. I'm literally, if if I walked, turned and walked behind me, I'm 200 yards from the North Sea. Um, little fishing town that I live in, and it's dotted with fishing towns up and down the coast, obviously, because we're close to North Sea. And that's this is where a lot of the research has stemmed from. Uh, As you know, I'm entrenched in the subject because of my own experiences in early years, but I think that's probably par for the course for everyone who's been touched by the phenomena. But uh, I don't think it's because Paul Sinclair lives in in Bridlington in the East Yorkshire that I'm digging this information up and, and unearthing things. I think it really is rich in unexplained phenomena, there's three areas particularly that uh, quite close to me called Flamborough, Bempton, and Speeton, where it, it seems to exhibit every type of unexplained that you could think of. So I wouldn't like to label myself, Whitley, as a researcher of UFOs, definitely not cryptids. This, that, that was the last thing I ever thought of, I'll be quite <laughs> honest with you. Yeah, it's a direction I never thought I would go. But I've kind of, I wouldn't say come to realise because, I mean, I can be, somebody can stand, stand and correct me because, you know, we're all here to learn. But from where I'm looking at the, the subject now, everything within the subject, be it spiritual, be it UFO-related, is all connected. Now, I'm not saying the spiritual side of things is connected to the UFOs per se, but I do believe there's something, there's some magical ingredients, for want of a better word, that are enabling these phenomena to manifest and come through. And I think that's what it might be. It could be some kind of enabler, and I don't mean that like a being, but there's just something that we're missing, and that there's a thread that runs through all the unexplained genre, the the strange descent into the lower silence when, when something's going to happen. Uh, You know, know, people realize that everything's changed and it, it runs through the cryptid sightings, the UFO sightings. It's it's a common thread.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about a couple of things One, your idea of the seventh sense. But first, let's talk about that silence, because I've known that silence too many times when we used we're going to have an encounter at our cabin. An absolutely extraordinary silence would fall. It was just a, a a thick, rather wonderful but ominous silence. Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences of this?
1: Yeah, and and the witnesses, Whitley. You know, you you, you sort of described it perfectly. I mean, in some cases, it's it's ominous. I mean, I think we, many people have a different type of experience with perhaps what is the same phenomena. I don't know whether it's the mindset of the individual that that sets that scenario up, I don't know. But the lower silence, we've got a guy who I've written about in Truth Proof 4, uh, family man, I'm jumping to the silence Whitley, I assure you, family man, hardworking, but when he gets the chance, he'll go for some solitude and he likes to look at the stars and the northern lights at a, at a place called Scolby Mills, about 15 miles away from my home. He's not interested in UFOs. And his experience, and he's done this many times over the years, but this guy's experience was sat up there alone in the darkness. He could hear the sounds of the sea crashing. He could hear seagulls because they don't switch off at night. They're absolutely still soaring about everywhere. And he said, and then all of a sudden he realized everything had gone quiet. He said it was as though, and I loved his analogy, it was like somebody had pressed pause on the world. I wish I'd a thought of that. But, but this guy did. And he said it was just like somebody had pressed pause. He said, and then I became aware of a noise in the distance about 30 yards away, heavy noise breaking the foliage. And then I perceived what was running towards me. If somebody had said to me, he said, Paul – a rhinoceros or a hippopotamus was running towards me, I would have believed it. He says, the thunderous footsteps. And it was getting closer and closer. And he says, I put myself in a fetal position and dropped to the floor. And when this thing was upon me, everything just snapped. And it was like, we're back in the world again. But as, as you know, because you've experienced this as well uh, on, on numerous occasions, and I'd, I'd like to ask you this question, but as you're asking me, when the lower silence descends or the os factor, whatever people want to call it, do you think you're already within the moment before you've realized you're in the moment? Um, that, that's that's what it used to be like for me as a, as a child when these things were happening. It was, it was almost as though I, I didn't know that it had happened until they'd gone. I had the experience and it was traumatic and I didn't enjoy it. But it was only when they'd gone that you kind of absorb it, and you're realizing it's happened. The the, the 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 influence that the phenomena puts on you, you you kind of trapped in it, rabbit in headlights. That's the way I felt.
0: It's as if you've slipped out of time a little bit, yeah. Or the 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 time is somehow different. I remember the night of December the twenty sixth, the evening of nineteen eighty five, when we had that i had that big close encounter experience we took a walk that evening me and my wife and son and it was just absolutely exquisite it was absolutely silent there were it was snow on the ground and there were flakes of snow dropping down and when they touched like the back of your gloves they were like you know when you look under a microscope at a snowflake it's a very beautiful intricate Crystalline Mm. structure. These were big; you could see them with the naked eye, and they were all like that. It was one of the most beautiful moments, and I remember Annie saying, "It's so quiet," and it was. Yeah. And then later that evening, later, I guess in the early morning hours, it wasn't so quiet anymore at all. So this comes; it brings a kind of Sense of the
1: sacred with it, but is it yeah. a dangerous sacred or not? I, I, me personally, I think it, it's it's both, because we do. I do. I don't speak to many people who've had positive experiences, but obviously people do. Whitley. Really. Uh, and but I never did. And the the this disjointed reality that that we're, we're thrust into. It, I, I, I often wonder: Is it the phenomena that's impressing that upon us, or, 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 or is it is it just the correct conditions? Every the, all the ingredients are correct for the for for the the feelings for the for the phenomena for everything to take place. I would imagine I've, I'm 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 probably uh, struggling with this one because. I've thought about it so many times, and you'd think I'd have an answer for what happened. I go through these scenarios, what happened to me as a child, and this sounds ridiculous. Probably every night when I've got a bit of silent time on my own in bed, I really do, because I'm trying to move forward with them, and I never can. And I have said before that, you know, it's it's not really until it was over that you realise it's actually happened. I probably sound a bit mixed up, and this is not normally like me when I'm doing podcasts. It's just yeah, the fact I mean, that my own experiences we, come totally here, confuse me.
0: We're here to struggle with this together and let the viewers and listeners see and hear this 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 journey um and you when you're in this situation you you somehow or another find yourself aware that it's over.
1: Yeah, that that's the exact thing I mean. Yes, yeah. you 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 come the realization that it's over is the moment that you you, you you're gathering as much as you can about what's just happened, because right. when you're absorbed in it, you're trapped and you you've not the thought processes just don't work correctly. Well, let's talk before we go
0: on a little bit about the concept of the seventh sense. What do you think of that? I mean, you you mention it and you bring it up. What to you is the seventh sense? Because I think we're we're in that sort of realm right now talking. Okay, I
1: mean, well, uh, I think a prime example of what we'll call the seventh sense, a story that I wrote about, uh, quite detailed in in what chapter four was the the Broxer Forest incident, where three men, who decided they were going to go wild camping, they travelled 120 miles from their home. They'd looked at this area on maps and it was in a deep ravine, uh, 800 foot ravine, in, where in places they had to go down on the bottoms with all their equipment. And they got there quite late. And they'd, it's something they had done many times, not in this ravine, but in various locations around the United Kingdom for three to four days of wild camping and just enjoying time together uh, as, as good friends, eating food, maybe having a few beers and fishing. Primarily, and there's a river in the bottom of this ravine, the River Derwent. But they're not interested in unexplained phenomena or whatsoever. So when they get down there, it's starting to get dark. And it's took them an hour to an hour and a half to get in there. They, they can't, they're they a bit sh- sketchy on the time, but I would have said about an hour and 20 minutes because we've done it three or four times since. They light a fire. and We interviewed two of them for Wolfland's but the third witness will not go on film. And it's the third witness that was key, in my opinion. <clears throat> before anything happened, for an hour before anything happened, and that both men, Steve and Jim, agree it was an hour, th- we'll call him witness Is saying, I don't like it. We have to go. We're being watched. I don't like it. We need to go. And they're kind of looking at this guy. He's in his late 40s, heavily built man you know, big sturdy kind of guy over six foot tall. And they're thinking, this isn't like him, what's the matter with him? And he's getting really, really nervous. And he's saying, you know, we need to go. And Jim said, the thought, <clears throat> we've just spent all this time getting into this ravine. It's now just about dark. And the thought of getting out in the darkness, uh, it, it 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 just weren't worth considering. The, the, everything were there, they would got everything set up. So it perceived something. And an hour passed, and then in the darkness, and I think it was the same guy who'd been saying there's something watching us, said, look. And in the distance, and I went, I've i since measured this, so because we've been in forest with them, I took a surve- surveyor's tape in, and it's approximately 32 feet away, two huge amber eyes lit up, and they were self-illuminating. So we've got some kind of bioluminescence going off here, and there were amber shape of human eyes. And uh, Jim said, you know, in the shape of human eyes, but larger or I didn't know. He said they were huge. He said his exact exact analogy was I was trying to find an animal. And we've got him on film for the documentary Wolfland saying this. I was trying to find an animal to assign these eyes to because he said I I was worried. He said, because I thought, is it a cat? But then the too big. Uh, the eyes are simply too big and they're too far apart. He said, the only thing I could think with the eyes set so far apart would be something like a cow. But he said, But then again, he said, they're about three foot off the ground. He said, and I'm looking at these eyes and we're, we're all looking and thinking, what could they be? And they're just stationary in the darkness. He said, and all the time, Witness X is getting more and more agitated, more and more frightened. Excuse me. And to the point where they think he's going to run off into the night. And in in the end, another 45 minutes has passed. I don't know the exact time quickly. He said, I stood up and I walked a few steps towards this, making a few hissing and shooing sounds and the eyes disappeared. He said, and I thought, thank God for that. That's that's the end of it. He said, and I turned round to look at Steve and witness X and their jaws had dropped, he said, and I could see them in firelight. He says, and I knew something was wrong. He says, and when I turned back, he says, these eyes from being three foot off, off the ground were now seven foot in the air. Oh, he my said, God. The, 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 the story is incredible. But, it, I mean, I can elaborate on it a little bit if you want. Well, let's uh, do that. Let's do that. But let's do that after the break.
0: We're going okay. to take a break for our free Dreamlanders, and we'll be right back. This is not communication. It's communion. Hundreds of thousands of people have claimed contact. That will change you. It changed me.
1: Last year.
2: This was something that I kept buried for years. Strange things would happen. I didn't want anything to do with it anymore.
0: He came at me, and I fought for my life. Ships started to pop up in the sky. And there's this bizarre disk of light. It is moving across the sky very fast. The experience is often very terrifying. If I felt fear, I would crawl under my covers, hoping that
2: it would go away, whatever it was. I know that we were put in that craft. I knew I was going to go to another planet. And the being was right next to my face. He saw two shadow beings. That's when I
1: felt like I was going to die.
0: I had a real encounter with something. Even if I had to live with the fear, is to know the truth, is to know. This is a brief excerpt from an interview with two contactees who had an 11-day close encounter experience and are now willing to speak about it, really, for the first time. To hear their whole interview and many others, subscribe to unknowncountry.com. Here's the excerpt. Did you see the man's face?
2: Yes. That one is very clear to me. It was kind of longish and uh he didn't look he didn't look completely human, but he because he had very very thin hair almost non existent but he was young. I believe that it was kind of blonde, and he was very tall, like six at least six feet. And he was so thin that he looked kind of strange.
0: And what happened then?
2: Well, he wanted me to to go with him or to stay with him. He wanted me to stay with him on the ship. And I'd been m- married for six months and I wasn't about to go running off to stay on the ship.
0: Now, surely you want more. You must want more. And there is more. Not only this contactee interview, but many others, many of them just as extraordinary on unknowncountry.com. Plus, everything else that we offer, my audio books, the meditations, the talks on the key William Henry's wonderful revelation show in its entire run, Ann Strieber's brilliant and magical, mysterious powers, and so much more. Hours and hours of listening pleasure. Learn from the meditations on the site. Really learn because they're real and they're valuable. Subscribe to unknowncountry.com right now. Go to unknowncountry.com. Click on the subscribe tab. We are running very low on new subscribers now, and that should not be, it should not be happening. So you do it. You go there and you do it today. We're talking to Paul Sinclair, his YouTube channel, where you can watch and participate in his live shows, is Truth Proof. His new book is Truth Proof 4, Beyond Reasonable Doubt which goes beyond paul's own experiences which we've talked about many times on the show into the general high level strangeness of this remarkable area in the north of england and his website of course is truthproof.co.uk now we were talking you we were just as we uh left the air these eyes had gone seven uh, seven
1: feet into uh, the air. Literally, yeah. So and tell us more. So he it, it, it turns around, he sees the eyes. It, they can see the full figure of this thing now. And he said, now I'm scared. He said, now I don't know what it is. And I'm scared. He said, there's not a full moon or anything. He said, but there's a bit of moonlight and we can see it. the, the silhouette of this this." huge creature bipedal stood looking at us in the darkness. He said it was stooped slightly forward, a bit like an American footballer would. He said it was absolutely terrifying now what I don't know if we've put him in, in Wolflands the documentary, but and we maybe should, but what what we didn't add was that witness x we'll, we'll go into detail of the description of it in a minute was saying to the, to Steve and Jim, it doesn't want you here. It doesn't want you here, Jim. It wants you to go. And then he looked at Steve, and it, and it said Steve's surname. He says, and you, Clarkie. It doesn't want you here. It wants you to go. So that implies to me that there's some kind of, I wouldn't say mind speak, but there's some kind of communication being imparted to this witness who's not gone yeah. on camera.
0: Yeah, but, uh, but here's what's going on here. He, he's saying... It wants the other two people to go, yes, it doesn't want you in leaving him alone with it, yes, yeah, uh, that that so in other words, it's saying, Get the other witnesses out of here, yeah, did they leave, or do no, I they ask you <laughs> oh, goodness, they wouldn't,
1: they wouldn't leave him quickly, you know, like they said that it were an hour close to an hour and a half to get in, getting out in pitch darkness, and plus, they're looking at something that's absolutely monstrous, they said, both Steve and Jim, we thought it was growling at us, but we realised it was its breathing, we could, it was breathing that heavily and that strongly, and Steve said it, because I asked them both, I said, well, what was it, what were you actually looking at, he goes, and Steve I'm, I'm i'm fairly good at remembering people's conversations and it will come up in the film anyhow and steve went it were a werewolf he said and then jim said it were a dog a dog in the shape of a man he said but it was just monstrously huge he said it it, it 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 had kind of got capped shoulders and you could see everything on it but it's covered in fur and steve said when it stood up he said because jim didn't see it stand up he said when it stood up the eyes rose perfectly his exact words like a machine he said it was just as though somebody had put two ping pong balls in water and it r- this thing rose up so it's These
0: movements guys, were not like the movements of a human being or an animal you would have seen no no, no no so it was and, a, it was a s- something right at
1: the edge of the supernatural, I would think. I, I think totally, and just, I mean, well, I can continue with this story, but I'd just like to say... Please do. They're in, a, they're in a forest called Broxa Forest. In some cultures, a broxa is a shapeshifter. How have we in the UK managed to gather, have a forest called Broxa Forest? It's very close, Whitley, to a... They, they were within half a mile of some of burial mounds and some earthworks, um, in particular, maw rig. Now, a rig is an outcrop of stone, but maw is, pardon the pun, more important, because it is spelt M-A-W. And in Norse mythology, the maw is associated with Fenrir, the Viking hound of hell that brought about Ragnarok, uh, and, and the Viking end of times, Fenrir ate, ate Odin, the god Odin, which, which is interesting. We've got that connotation to the wolf very close to where to Morrig, even closer to where the guys were. You know, the three men. We've got Warsman's head. So we've got W-A-R-S, man's head. In Norse mythology, a warg was a wolf. So if we remove the S and for a G, it becomes Wolfman's head. And then all all surrounding it, we've got howl moor, wolf how, wolf how low, wolf how high. Obviously, we've got connotations to the wolf because wolves would have been prevalent in ancient times. But there's so many unusual facets to the story. And this thing, jumping back to the guys, this thing watched them all night, stood watching them to the point where Steve said, "I wanted it to be over." The 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 fear that it was putting upon them. He said, I, "We all huddled, but we could. I could still see the eyes in my peripheral." He said, now I just wanted to die." You, you, you go
0: on a camping trip. It's wild camping, which you, that means camping in a place that's not designed for camping. In 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 uh in the U.S. we call it guerrilla camping, okay. Uh, and you're gonna you're expecting a nice peaceful time. You're going to a place it's difficult to get to that nobody else will be at, and instead and then, you and end up <laughs> hounded by a
1: werewolf. Well, bad it, luck. Well, <laughs> you, well it, totally. You would think because th- there's a there's a path leading through this uh, that goes to a place called Langdale End. And mountain bikers do come through it. Now, what we've found out now for Wolflands, we've interviewed one guy who's gone on film and he's been paced for three quarters of a mile by something huge running through the undergrowth at the side of him. But now we've got another three stories. We we just don't have room to include them in the film from mountain bikers who've seen and experienced similar things. So. Uh, Before not we go on, you've mentioned,
0: wait a minute paul you've mentioned the documentary so many times can you yep. tell us a little bit about what you're doing and when we might hope to see it et cetera, and so forth because i know my listeners and watcher viewers are curious
1: we, we're doing a documentary called wolflands and primarily it's about the cryptid phenomena uh, but I also want to show the the links, not necessarily links as in cryptids flying about in UFOs, but links by location of other phenomena occurring within within the same places. So Wolfland's got independent witnesses uh, from lots of different locations around the UK, but who've had experiences in eastern North Yorkshire with cryptids and more importantly, in these same areas, and they don't know each other, these people, none of them do. And th- th- I think that's what makes it even more interesting because regardless of whether we want to believe these things are real, we've got, I think we've nine witnesses in Wolflands. It's not your standard documentary where they sit across having a coffee in a cafe, talking about what they saw, and then having a little bit of animated cartoon creature. We've it's spent, we've spent two years on it on a low budget, but with a lot of, a lot of care and attention. And we've, we've spent a lot of time on Wolflands. Let's put it this way. And it's gathered a lot of interest. And, uh, we're really excited about it. Hopefully it, it will be out. It will be ready this year. I would, I would think it will. Uh, we've just done another promo because I'm talking at the awakening conference in Blackpool in, June on June the twenty fourth, and we're going to be running the promo there. And I'll be doing a talk about Wolflands. That's what they've asked me to do, and uh, yeah, that's where where we're going to go with it. So and
0: and that's that's what you sort of call the area, isn't it? Because this wolf does the does this creature ever is it ever associated with anything violent
1: happening to people? We don't know. I mean, these guys never, apart from the feelings of ultimate terror. They didn't experience any savagery from this thing, uh, so, so I've, I've nothing to say that anybody's been harmed. What uh, it's hard to say what we're looking at. Let's assume it is something from another realm. It could be that that ex, uh, overlap of existences, should we say? Let's imagine it being a bit like that. It's it's not even capable of doing that. It might be just as confused looking at them three guys as they were looking at it. You know. The, the, I mean, Steve. One of the witnesses said, "If you would have asked me to draw a werewolf, I would not have drawn that." No, he said, "No of way." Course not. He said it was ridiculous. He says its ears were too big; they were stuck up above its head, pointed but really big. He said, and every so often it would turn to the right. He says, and its muzzle looked almost looked like wily e. coyote. He says it were ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah. seriously,
0: it occurs to me that you know, everyone always talks about if only a UFO would land on the White House lawn. What if that came out of it?
1: What would we do yeah. then? Can, can you imagine? Can you know? I've I've only got one one account of something, and I think I might have spoke to you about it before. Uh, the, what we call the hairy chewbackers in in a forest just up from these forests. Yeah, t- pink- talk
0: about the hairy chewbackers. They're 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 not. They're a little bit more reassuring in some ways than the the strange, comical, and yet ominous wolf
1: werewolf. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay then. So, a, a father takes his two children camping, we'll call it wild camping again, to a place called and Pinchinthor- Thorpe Forest, way up the coast, uh, on the on the North Yorkshire coast. He finds a place that he thinks suitable and sets his tent in front of a dry stone wall. He says there's cattle in field at the other side, not that that's of any bearing. He said, it's a bit sludgy, he says, we go for a little walk into the forest, he said, uh, it's a bit sludgy, so I tell the children to take the shoes off, before they get into the tent, we have a bite to eat, and we settle down, it's not late, he says, it's only like night between nine and ten, and he settles down with his two children, he said, the children are asleep, he said, and then he becomes aware, well, we're jumping back to it again here, Whitley, that everything's gone very, very quiet, and, and kind of static, it's weird, like electric feeling in the air. He said then he heard a movement outside, branches cracking, a few noises, and then the zip of the tent came down. He said, and opened it up, he says, and a fur-covered heart, arm came inside the tent and went towards his child. He said, but, it, but the thing that was he said, no, skinny. I just
0: have to say, that would have been a little scary.
1: Yeah. Oh, he said it's thin he said and he it looks at him and as it looks at him he, he realizes that the dad into sleep and it touches him on the forehead and he blacks out that's that so that's the story and then it comes to again being carried across some fields this guy says and there's a ufo this is the only story i've got connected to ufos it's not in wolf lands there's a ufo when he comes to, he's touched again on the forehead and he blacks out. Now, where the story becomes interesting, because he woke up the next morning and thought that was the strangest dream. That were really, really weird. And he's laid there. He's in his tent, a bit disheveled. And the children wake up and they said, dad, 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 last night, uh, we had a dream. We were being carried across some fields by some hairy Chewbacca's. So, They've either had a shared dream or, or it's been a real experience. And the, the, the final ingredient, he said, the inside of the tent, which they'd taken the shoes off because there was a bit of sludge and leaves, was covered in sludge and leaves. So they had be, they had been out of the tent. So did, did they know, ever? Would they ever
0: try hypnosis or anything? Uh, not for the children, but for him, maybe.
1: May do, may do. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not something that I've, I've broached with him at all, but uh interesting nevertheless. It's it's an unusual one. As I say, I don't know whether you've had stories of other We we know what we talk about the alien beings within the crafts, but things that have, I don't know, more rustic, should we say, than fur covered, yeah. That's a I, don't <laughs> I don't know how else to well, describe. You know,
0: them. The, the thing that's quite clear to me is that they can control what you remember. In other words, your memories are not necessarily of what happened. Your memories are, they have the ability to design memories yeah. so that when you do remember something that has to do with them, you might be only sort of uh, running a film that they created and that you, you don't know what's behind it. Did and, you know um, you asked- I, I know that the, the little gray people have a very sardonic sense of humor. And I I can see them wanting people to believe that in we're gigantic, absurd-looking werewolves and Chewbacca's and stuff like that very easily. So you just you, don't know what really went on. Th- that's but it true. could also be this is such a huge universe, and we know so little about how it works. These could be real beings uh, that... That have somewhere have homes and uh, live beneath the rising and falling of another sun. You
1: don't know. It's, it's very fact. true, is really. Yeah, it's very true. And, and you know, you, you, you brought something up then about the 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 ch- changed s- images and changed reality. And as as a child, you know, uh, I I remember waking up where we lived in this little house in Old Denaby and i remember waking up in the early morning it, it must have been summer because it was daylight and i could see two tall thin well for want of a better word alien beings st- stood looking at me and 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 some smaller ones and they were hideous they were terrifying and i turned away i turned away and buried my face in in the pillow or whatever for a small child. I don't know, six or seven years old. It sent like an eternity. But when I turned back, I was looking at the people from my mum and dad's wedding album. I were looking at my nan and granddad and I were looking at people who, who I didn't know, but were in a, the wedding album, it were almost as though they'd flicked through some images in my head, like a filing cabinet. That's as close as I can do because it were a picture of people. but They were there in front of me from the wedding album. And, uh, I, I can remember it as clear and as sharp as as the day I saw it, and that was to pacify me. I believe I don't because I was so frightened when I actually woke up and saw what I was looking at. And uh, is that an, what you're talking about? An example of them manipulating the mind? Because I don't think yeah. they changed.
0: Yeah, exactly. There is something there but we oh you know what we have we have a break but instead of a okay. break this time folks i want to talk to everybody the subscribers as well as the ones who don't who are just listening on the free side which is fine i welcome you don't ever think otherwise uh, but subscribers why don't you tell your friends about the site because things are changing so much it used to be that this site was uh harmed or, or are diminished by the fact that people didn't want to tell their friends about this. And I don't blame them. I, you know, I, God knows, I mean, what happened to me with that after I published communion, I would think twice now about publishing it if I had known what would happen. But with all that has happened with all of the UFO material that's been released by the government and now the release of material saying that, yes, we know the abductions are real. Which we, uh, we, that was a story on Unknown Country on, uh, April the 11th. The, the, this is something to be proud of. It's not something to be ashamed of or to hide. And it's time for the bullying to stop. So tell your friends, if you're a subscriber, tell them it's worth doing and you are standing up on behalf of a very real experience that you had both the good fortune and the misfortune to have. Okay. Now let's get back and we, there's so much to talk about in truth proof for, uh, this, this, uh, let's, you know, let's, let's sort of move on to another uh, story. The wonderful story of Eddie, the taxi driver, who said to you, uh, "I don't know if you'd be interested in what I have to say"? And of course, you said, is, oh, "Certainly, I'll be interested." And there followed a remarkable story.
1: Is that the cat sighting? Yes,
0: it's the cat sighting in December of 2018, uh, that, where he, he, he was driving back from a drop-off in Harwood Dale. Yep. Just past- yep. Midnight,
1: okay, you got it well what 's interesting as well, Whitley, is Howard Dale is literally a stone's throw from broxa forest so so what we 've got here are uh, what we would term as alien big cats and not alien in the term that uh, we 've just been talking about, but they 're not sort of native to the u k although it seems like they are now, and we 've got br- breeding big cats, panthers, and pumas in these forests and this guy's driving as he said he's driving through this remote area i think he'd if memory serves me right i think he'd come close to a place called east hayton but um and he i've obviously seen a big black panther but he's not the only person to have seen these things whitley and i don't know whether I, i think the majority of these cats have just got a drink here you'll have to come in a little bit oh thank you sorry about that uh, i think the majority of these cats obviously are living breed breeding pairs of cats within the uk uh, very close to where eddie the the taxi driver saw the cat a farmer a lady told me that she was tending to her sheep at harwood dale and and yet
0: these cats can never be pinned down it's you know there's uh, there's places in the united states that have the same exact type of cats i think uh if I'm not correct, Southern Ohio is a hotbed of these cats. And people see them. They make videos of them every once in a while. And they seem perfectly normal, like big black panthers. But the thing is, a black is a very rare color for a panther in okay. our world. And uh-huh. uh, they do happen, obviously. But you'd think that there would somewhere, some evidence... Hard evidence of the existence, if only hairs or spoor or uh,
1: a, a, even a dead animal, would be Do found. You know, you're so right. You you really are because when we look at wildlife documentaries and they talk about the snow leopards and you know in their native habitats and they say that the the rarest cats in the world, but they managed to get them and they managed to find them in. I wouldn't say great numbers, but numerous snow leopards or or tigers in 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 the deep. Jungles and forests, and they managed to get these on film. And you're right, we don't have as much sort of forest, and we don't have no jungle here in the United Kingdom, yet people are seeing these cats all over the place, and particularly in the forests of North Yorkshire. I need to say that there are over 500 square miles of forest interspersed with moorland in this area, but they're being seen and crossing roads. Like, you know, the taxi driver and this, they've been seen with regularity. So you would think you would see cubs, you would think you would see evidence of where they've made a den. And, but we're not seeing that. You're correct. If we jump to Bempton, it close to where I live, there's a lane called Short Lane. I'll have spoken about it many times and written about it in all three books because it's a totally unassuming single track road with, uh, Crops on either side, left and right, uh, into broken hawthorn th- hedges, six foot of edge, and then a gap of 20 foot, and then another. There's nothing. Basically, what I'm saying is there's, it's devoid of anything. But the, the newspaper archives, going back 20, 30 years, report big cats seen on short lane, big black cats. You see, so one part of me, Paul Sinclair, says, I think the breeding populations are are in these areas there's pockets of them breeding uh because obviously in 1976 when they dissolved the wild the, when they brought in the wild animal laws anybody who'd been keeping these exotic pets a lot of people released them but even that don't stand up when you think about it weirdly because the average life of a big cat is about 15 to 17 years in the wild so we've, we've gone way past that well though we do realize that two of anything can breed if they're opposites But jumping back to Short Lane, we shouldn't be seeing black cats on Short Lane. We've literally got nothing but farmland either side that's just low grass or whatever crop they've got in, yet people over the years have reported, and I don't just mean one or two, lots of reports of motorists and people walking who've seen black panthers on Short Lane. How is that? It's almost as though these cats are something else. You know... I have played with a
0: theory, which is that there are animals that can jump back and forth between parallel universes, and it's just a theory. But you know, Big, Bigfoot is the same way. You can't. Yeah. You you know, it's. I I know people who are who want to keep their stories quiet, who have had just incredible, detailed, close up Vic Bigfoot sightings. I'm always trying to get them on the show, but so far no cigar. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I have to say that they've seen one man has seen this one of these things just disappear before his eyes. And you know, if you evolve, if you evolved an ability, if there is a parallel universe right here, one of an incredible defense mechanism would be to evolve an ability to go back and forth between them. Yeah. And I just wonder if some of those animals haven't done something very much like that.
1: Do you know Whitley you you you've kind of hit the nail on the head and it's that the theory that you're playing with uh, I don't mean it's one I've played with it's one I've thought about uh you know I do think it's plausible to believe that the cats could be in the UK and breeding and surviving in certain pockets but I but I also struggle to understand why there would be seen in in such numerous uh, well numerous accounts of them on on short lane, for example, where there shouldn't be cats. We're, we're literally a stone's throw from the town. It just wouldn't happen. So you know you could be onto something with that. And there's a there's an American Indian who I've spoken to a few times called Larry Sespooch. and he talked to me about the Skinwalker. When I went were, I were after information regarding the Flixton werewolf, to be honest, but he's quite an authority on, on the Skinwalker. I think he lives near Skinwalker. And uh, he said that this, this is a creature that has the ability to live between worlds. He said, but if you approach these things with good intent, then that is the way that the experience will go. Don't quote me word for word, but that's the way he was saying it, you know. And people can find Larry on YouTube, and he he talks about his ancestry and stuff. He's a really interesting you know, guy. Hopefully, he'll they'll find him on
0: Dreamland soon. He sounds like an ideal guest for us. Oh, it's fabulous, fabulous, yeah. Fabulous idea. Thank you for that. I'll certainly follow up with you after the show. Yeah, uh, and you know, folks, I'm going to be in. Uh, in England in uh late May and I'm gonna I'm planning to go up and and be with uh with Paul and go to some of these places and I certainly will be taking a camera. So Without we'll see doubt. we'll see what happens. Um the now let's let's go on. Uh, you know I wanna I wanna uh talk about the the story of the pyramid Kaz uh, uh Yeah. She's, she has, I want to interview her on this show, but so far I haven't had a response and she may be, you know, she may be nervous about doing it. I have her book and, but in case we don't get an interview, and even if we do,
1: can you tell us a little bit about the Black Pyramid sighting? And and I I think it's terribly important. Well, I can't go into dates and details simply because I don't have that knowledge, Whitley. Oh, not not the kind of detail she has, but just the general story, which I know you know. Uh, Well, basically, her and uh, her friend witnessed this huge, I mean, when, when she's talking about three football pitches long, pyramid, uh, that's depicted. I don't know if you've got a picture of it on cover at book, because I think that's how she's described it. There's a military presence. Uh, it's called the Penturk incident. And I think Cass Clark's the lady that can do this justice. And I did contact her again for you this morning, believe it or not, Willie. Really. Uh, so we'll see where we go with that because she, she did want to speak and they've had this experience. There's, there's been activity and Reports of UFO activity at the time, but she's trying to gather more witnesses to come forward. She it, she's been threatened. She, the The story's been suppressed, but she's she's such a strong-willed person, from what I can gather. If people want to go to the Truth Proof live stream, you'll be able to hear her talking about this. You, the, the, there's the one, really yeah, there's one
0: Just just uh, there, there's a wonderful interview with Kaz on the Truth Proof live stream. It's extraordinary but go ahead
1: uh, well you know she, she, she said people have come to her and said well why you w- why what's special about you uh, because she's not interested in ufos or she wasn't until she this happened and uh her children got threatened or i think it were a daughter and that's what set her down on this path she says nobody's threatening my family and and now there she's was a big military that- operation that was connected the- with it well, they've said they've said it was a military operation, uh, but basically, it wasn't. And what one of the she said this this thing this uh, pyramid. I'm mindful of the fact that I don't want to get a story wrong, but I think it was three luminous green barrel-shaped objects came out of it. I'm not very aerodynamic, aerodynamic people. I do realise that, but they came out of it, and they were pursued by helicopters. There were military aircraft around the area all of the time uh, while this, these sightings or this incident was occurring. And an helicopter shot one of these objects down. Now, she believes, I don't think she's had words imprinted in her head, but for some reason, Kaz believes that these these things were God's. That's seriously, that's it sounds it sounds incredible. But when you hear the lady talk and she talks with such passion and conviction that that some things affected her profoundly. It's just an incredible story uh, in a place called Penturk in Wales. And uh, I really think that, well, I I need to push Cass Clark to get on Whitley's show so that she, she can impart this knowledge to your listeners yeah because
0: i have i I like to think that there probably isn't anybody else who can interview her quite in the way i can Uh, i'm I'm pretty sure that would be true and uh and but i must say that your interview of her on your show is excellent and uh, there's also by extension nobody who can interview her in Quite the way you can, because of what you know and have experienced, and you know we must never forget that Paul's life. Tell us about there's and and I know you've said this on the show before, but we all have short term memory loss. <laughs> and, uh, no, we don't really, but and I know the story, but just tell us briefly about what got you into this, because I think it's so important that stories like this be told and be repeated. Because they are these initiating incidents are so critical in all of our lives.
1: If we're starting at childhood, are we, Whitley, or we're starting yeah, with yeah, the book? Yeah, the ch- yeah, childhood. Because I think you're responsible for books in part. But anyway, childhood. Uh, obviously, children don't keep a diary, so I'm looking at in between four and six years old and my father wakes me up, which is unusually a very strict kind of guy, my dad, and uh, when I went to bed, I went to bed, but he woke me up, and he's he wants to show me something, and we live in this little house in, in a village called Old Denaby that overlooks the town of Mexborough, so these places can be found if you, if you want to Google them. There were a power station on the right-hand side, and the two cooling towers. Now, at the side of the cooling tower in the night, halfway up the cooling towers, or maybe just a bit lower, there's a sphere of lemony white light that looks like it's turning it looks like a moon to be honest but it's obviously not as big as a moon and he's he's got binoculars on it and gives me the binoculars and we're watching it and it slowly travels along the rooftops of the houses not literally people but that's what it does so with the full length of mextra mextra and i can see all these rooftops and about halfway into this journey my dad leaves me I don't know why, um, he maybe went downstairs, he, he smoked, so he maybe went for a cigarette outside and to watch it. And then I watch it and it goes all the way, and it's gone to Swinton, the next town. And I'm, I don't know it's a UFO, I don't know what it is. My dad's not called it a UFO, I think he said it was a weather balloon. Uh, but anyway, that's that. But after that, things happened, things began to happen. I don't know whether there was some connection made, I've really no idea. But things I would wake up in the night and they were they were beings I don't know, and I don't mean every night, I've got little cameos, broken cameos of events throughout my childhood of these small almost fetal like in in appearance beings, and they're watching me and it's you'd you'd wake up and they'd be there. these weren't dreams. And you'd look at them, and, and the strangest thing, I, I remember waking up on two occasions, and they stood up. Well, They're actually in my bed, so there's almost it's like transparent, like a hologram. It's looking back. I've, I've seen them sparkling. I saw, and I, I, I looked into the eyes of one of them, and I still think it's the most. And I don't mean the 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 gray things that I saw that were terrifying. I'm on about the the eyes of this thing that was outside of me, and I still remember looking into its eyes and and thinking that it was the most beautiful amazing like I could see forever and I'd jump into them eyes to now and never come back kind of feeling i ju- it just I, I can't even imagine it i can't I, I can't imagine it, but i can't i can 't imagine anything that could replicate it that 's the that 's what I mean to say, but then there were other times that 's the only two positive experiences seeing these this being with these eyes it was and it was sparkling it was full of life, it was almost like looking and i 'm sorry if this sounds crude people, but when you know look at things under a microscope and you you see it all swirling, it was almost like that 's what I was looking into in in the in the head or in the sphere of this this being. It was just incredible. But that's the only two positives that some I would wake up in the night and you'd feel the presence of something in the room. And you knew it were getting closer and closer. And then there'd be voices that were on my shoulder. I didn't feel weight on my shoulder, but it would it. It were repeating words in language I couldn't understand that was absolutely terrifying. I think the voices were more frightening than actually seeing the, the grey, spindly, fetal-like beings. And I went... I no shame in saying it now, Willie. I wet the bed till I was 13 years old, probably. It, it seemed to stop at around that age. Because
0: of this, the stress of this. Now, yeah, when and- you say it was a language you can't, can't can't understand, you know, I'm not so sure that we don't understand these languages, and I'll tell you why. People would occasionally, when we were, especially when we were at our country house, and there were other people there. And Anne and I were in the living room, and you know we were people were out walking and stuff, and uh, we were chatting together. If they came up to the house, they would hear us talking what sounded to one of them, who was a f- teacher of languages, Gaelic. And right. but here's the thing: neither one of us speaks a word of Gaelic. We don't speak Gaelic at all. And but but we when we were alone we spoke Gaelic together for some unknown reason. And I think that we have hidden languages that were maybe part of a hidden world that we ourselves are projections from the world that you and I are discussing. And so I'll bet you, you actually did understand those words. And that's why it was so terrifying.
1: Yeah, you you, you you could be right, quickly. And do you know those things? I'm not obviously. I'm not going to say my grandson's name, but well, we've got eight grandchildren, and uh, we I don't impress any of this upon them. the, the mums and dads wanted to thank me for doing it. I, I can assure you. Yeah. But uh, a few years ago, uh, one of my daughters, Jessica, she rang me and she said, she said, you know, Dad, she said, we're really worried. She said, why is that? Uh, she said, well. Our grandson, we'll call him Jim. It's not, isn't not called Jim. He said, "Is he says, you know, Nick puts him to bed on the night. We, he puts him to bed, and we we hear a bump on the floor. I don't know either when we're in bed or but late at night, and we'll go into his room, lift him in bed. This would have been when he was about four, and say, you know, and uh, really good parents. They're both teachers, and and says, come on, darling, you you know you get in the middle of the bed because that's why you're falling out. You're on the edge. And he says, I can't, Daddy. He said, why? He says, because of the man. He says, what do you mean because of the man? He said, because of the man. He says, he, and his beds are tied to a wall, his other side. He said, he comes out of a hole in the wall. He says, and he picks me up. He said, and he said the strangest thing. He said, he tries to eat me, but he doesn't eat me. And we go through the hole in the wall. and But then he puts me back. It, and and this went on. Oh, it must have gone on for about six months, and then all of a sudden it stopped. You know, I mean, that little lad's eight or nine now, yeah. and he's not, he's not mentioned it, and nobody's mentioned it to him. But, no, uh exactly. You can't do that. You can't. No. You can't engage them. We didn't. We
0: were very careful with our son, but I'll never forget when. I was so concerned about these strange before the communion experience, I was very concerned about strange things happening around the house, and I'd bought guns and an alarm system and all kinds of things. And suddenly, uh, he started telling about these little doctors that would take him out onto the porch and give him examinations of his something under his skin. And I was simply appalled. They went cold. (laughs) Yeah, it was horrifying. And, but I could do nothing about it. And I, you know, it's, I, so I really sympathize very much here. Well, listen, free dreamlanders, we have come to the end of our time together. Subscribers, when we go on, and I am trying to tempt you, free dreamlanders, to go on with us. All you have to do is go to unknowncountry.com, click on. The subscribe tab and get started. Uh, we're going to go to what I think is beautifully described in truth proof four as a timeless outer nowhere. We've often discussed time slips on this show and we're getting into it in an entirely new way. So free. Listeners, thank you so much for being with us as always. I'm so grateful for your participation and your interest. And subscribers, we will just keep on keeping on and I'm even more grateful for you. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by unknowncountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Strieber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Strieber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.